All right, here's my question for you as we start off this morning. Who are you? Who are you? I mean, if I took you to lunch this afternoon and we had a chance to talk one-on-one and I asked you that question, hey, who, who are you? How would you answer it? I think it's a fair guess um, to say that a lot of you would start by telling me about something that you do, right? So if you're younger, you're a teenager, or you're um, in college and we had the chance to connect and ask who you were, well, I'm a, I'm a student, right? Or I, I play in the band, or I, I play baseball, right? You're going to tell me about something that you do that helps define you, you're older, it may be something that you do in your career, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I'm a, I'm a software engineer, I mean, I'm a business owner. Whatever it is that you do, that would help me get to know you a little bit better. But I think if you don't start there, or if you don't start to tell me about your role, or even if you do, most likely you would lead into after that maybe roles that you have. Right? So, well, this is what I do, but I'm also a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, I, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. You might tell me about being a grandparent. You'd, you'd talk about some kind of role that you have. Maybe it's not a family role, but I'm a, I'm a school board member, member, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm a, um, whatever, I serve in the Rotary Club. I mean, just some kind of role um, that you have would help kind of define who you are. I have a feeling that some of you may not verbalize this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't tell me this out loud if I was connecting with you over lunch, but you might think this in your head or maybe you think this on your own when you're kind of just wondering who you are and trying to define yourself, but you would go back to something way back in the past potentially, right? I mean, you, you might talk about being a, a valedictorian or uh, the prom queen or the homecoming king or you were the uh, captain on the football team that won the state championship right and you're maybe in your 50s or 60s now but you still think back to those moments because they were valuable to you they were important to you they showed worth to you in some way and so in your mind if you're trying to define who you are you're going way back you know uncle rico style some of you got the Napoleon Dynamite thing there, um, right? I can throw football over the mountains. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we think about those things, right? And maybe you're just uh, past some of those things, or maybe you're 30, 40, 50 years into the future, but those things still are defining who you are when you're answering the question, who are you? And so I think a lot of us would, again, go to the, the roles or what it is that we do. We'd think to something positive in our past, and unfortunately, some of us would go to our past and we would find the not so positive things too though right i'd say well because of mistakes that we've made or things that have happened in our past you would say well i'm a i'm a failure i'm i'm a loser you might say i'm a, a nobody you might say uh, something that has happened to you or a choice that you made that led to this but you might you know i'm i'm divorced or I'm widowed, or you would define yourself by something that happened to you. Some of us would go back to things that people have said about us, a mom or a dad, an uncle or an aunt, or 
um, a grandparent, maybe a friend. You know, you'd never amount to anything. You're, you're stupid or you're ugly or something that someone said to you way back when. And then usually one of two things happens in those moments. Um, either you just kind of settle into that being really who you are and you kind of walk around in that way, allowing it to define you, or you, you use it as motivation, right? That's not who I am, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you. I'm going to show you that's not who I am. And we work, and we work, and we work to try to perform and, and get to a certain level in something. And a lot of times, we really, we really honor those people in our society, right? Oh, man, so-and-so told you you went out to nothing, and boy, you know, you showed them because of how it is that you're performing right now. But I, I hope you see that either way, whether you live in the realm of what it is that they called out in you that was so negative back then, or whether you live in the realm of having achieved something that shows them that that's not who you were, that either way still results in death. I mean, you're either walling around in that death of, yeah, it is who I am, or you're walling around in death and kind of enslaved in this vicious cycle to continue to prove yourself over and over again that that's not really who you are. Because the moment that you start to underachieve a little bit, your mind's going to go back to, oh, that person said I was going to be a nobody, and now I'm slipping a little bit, so guess what? I, even though I've accomplished all these things, I really must be a nobody. So I'm going to have to hustle more. I'm going to have to try harder. I have to get there. And you're just running on this cycle, this treadmill, over and over and over, trying to chase after something or, or maintain this, this identity that you've had that proves against what someone else told you you would never amount to whenever you were little. And so I think, if, again, if we were to go out and connect, you would see that you would go to these kinds of things. Again, whatever it is that you've achieved, uh, things that you do, roles that you have, something someone said to you, something from your past, whether it's good or bad, any of those kinds of things. But I guess my question is, are those really the things that define us? I mean, are we really defined by the things that people say about us? Are we really defined by what we do? Are we really defined by what we think about ourselves or something that happened to us in the past or something that we accomplished in the past or something that we hope to accomplish in the future? I don't think those are the things that necessarily define us or, or how we should look at our identity. There's certainly things that are true about us that they help others get to know how we're living our lives and our personalities and kind of some of those kinds of things. They're not things that aren't necessarily not true about us, but as far as the core of who we are and our identity and how we're defining those things, these are not the things that should be defining us because Scripture communicates something completely different. Scripture communicates something completely different about where and how we find our uh, identity. And I've, I've seen, as I've seen these truths illuminated in Scripture and as Jesus has revealed them to me through the Holy Spirit, it's radically transformed and changed my life because I used to wrestle a lot with the who are you question. We'll talk about this as the series goes on. I'm not going to get way into it, but I mean, starting around middle school, early high school years, when most of us start to kind of think about that kind of thing, like, who, who am I apart from my mom and dad, right? And we're really trying to settle into those kind of things. Man, I, I really began to wrestle with those questions and found out pretty quickly that if I performed in these ways or that ways, then these could, this could bring me value. This could bring me worth. This is how I could answer the question who it is that 
that I am, but whenever I finally began to see the truth of who I really am in Christ, in the identity that I draw from just simply being in union with him, it has allowed me to have so much more peace and rest in my life. So much more peace, so much more rest. It's changed the way that I talk to him, the way that I view him, the way that I view myself. And here's the other thing that I didn't necessarily expect to come out of this. It's also changed my actions and my behavior. And the reason that it changed my actions and my behavior is basically because of this principle that we act out of what it is that we believe. We do. To put it another way, what we believe about ourselves is the greatest influencer of our actions. What you believe about yourself is the greatest influencer of your actions. And so understanding our identity and what Scripture has to say about our identity, what God's opinion of you versus your opinion of yourself really does matter, is extremely important. And that's why we're starting this series today on identity. And we'll be covering it for the next several weeks of this summer. And so I hope that you're making plans to, to be here and go deep into some of these identity truths. We're gonna take a single statement, a single identity statement and highlight it in scripture and unpack it and dive deep into it and talk about how it really applies to our lives and how if we really begin to own it and see that and believe that to be true about ourselves, how it will affect our actions and our behavior and the walk that we have with Christ. Today's gonna be a little bit of an overview, kind of an intro into the whole series, and I cannot not talk about spiritual anatomy when we're talking about our identity. Some of you who have been here before, we've already talked about a few of these things, we've highlighted a few of these diagrams, so it may be a little bit of a review for you, but again, in this first diagram, you see uh, just a picture of spiritual anatomy, that we have a body, that we have a soul, that we have a spirit, and of course, Scripture teaches us that because of sin in the world, that we're all spiritually dead, that we're all separated from him. One of the places we see that is in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where the apostle Paul says, listen, just as sin entered the world through one man, so as sin entered the world through, through Adam, and death through sin, so through that one sin, death entered the world. In this way, Paul says, death came to all people. That includes you, and that includes me. We're part of the all people who, as we're born into this world, are spiritually separated from God, from a holy and a perfect God who cannot be in the presence of sin. And, and that's a problem. That's a problem because, as you see in this next slide, that leaves us in a position where we're having to search for the life that we were meant to have at the core of our being from out in the world. We can't look internally to find the life that we were supposed to try to be able to find in a union with God. So we've got to look externally for that life. The Apostle Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 2, says you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Listen, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 
So because we're separated from God, who we were meant to be in a spiritual union with at the core of our being, drawing life from him, drawing meaning from him, and drawing our identity from who we are in him, the only choice that we have is to go looking for it in the world. And so we've got, you know, senses, right? We look out into the world. We, we listen for what people are saying about how we define ourselves and how we, we answer the question, who are you, right? And we use our body to perform well and we use our speech to convince others that this is kind of who we really are. And so we're always looking in the out external world to try to figure out how the world defines people. And we see that when people perform well and they get a lot of attention and people talk about, well, well, that's the person you need to try to aspire to be. And we go, well, that's how I need to define myself. And what we're basically doing is we're trying to look out into the external world to manufacture an identity. Our identity is supposed to come from the very core of our being in a union with God that we have from Him defining ourselves. But because something went wrong with sin and we've been separated from that union, you know, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were in union with God before, the, the, before sin entered the world, did you know they're living from God at that point? You, you get that, right? Like they're, they're living from God him he was their source he was their who they were drawing their life and their meaning and their purpose drawing their identity it was something they received from him not something that they did through performance or something that they um uh, a role that they had or something that someone said about them or what they said that they were it was from god but because we're separated from him now we're having to fight and crawl to perform and find an identity we got to get it to have a certain role we need to manipulate and use people to get them to say this or get them to say that about me to define more about who i am and we just become a slave we become a slave to what other people think about us we become a slave to what we think about ourselves we become a slave to what we do and what's been done to us because this is this is how we have to define ourselves. There's no other choice. I'm, I've got an empty hole at the core of my being without being in union with God, so I've got to manufacture something. I've got to manipulate and use the situation, the circumstances, and the people around me to find something out there to manufacture an identity, but it's, it's all a lie. It's, it's all a lie. It's all a lie from Satan. When we were reading Ephesians, reading Ephesians 2, Paul said, when you were dead in your transgressions in which you, and sins in which you used to live, listen, when you followed the ways of this world and who? The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that? Satan, right? Satan is the prince of this world. It's his system that we've all bought into. It's a lie. Satan knows that the identity that we uh, have, how we define ourselves, is only something that we can receive from God and in a union with him. But if he can convince us that our identity is found in what it is that we do, our identity is found in what other people say about us or a role that we have, then he knows that we'll send us on an endless chase of trying to find the identity in those 
those things or maintain an identity that we think we have when we found those things. But it is just a lie because, listen, those things can't change who we are. (laughs) I, I, I mean... No amount of me performing like a dog is going to make me a dog. I could say, hey, y'all, I'm a dog, and I could bark like a dog, and I could get on my hands and knees, and I, or I could crawl around, you know, like a dog, and I could chase after cats like dogs do, and I could eat dog food, and I could do all the things that dogs do and say, hey, look, everybody, I'm a dog, and you would just look at me and say, you're an idiot. <laughs> You're not a dog. Just because you're performing like a dog and you're saying you're a dog and you're acting like a dog doesn't make you a dog. And we all know that, right? And we all go, yeah, that's silly. But we've bought into this other thing that says we are what we do. We are how we perform. Do you see that? I can try to perform like a dog and act like a dog. And you're like, no, 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 you're not a dog. That's dumb. You're like, but if you try to perform to have an identity in certain roles or certain things that you do, we all go, oh, no, there's mad respect for that. Do you not see how it's the same thing? It's just a lie that Satan's used to uh, uh, keep us from where real identity is found. Of course, the good news, thank God for the good news, the gospel is that, that Jesus, God sent his one and only son into this world, into this sin-infested world without any sin, fully God and fully man, so that he could take all of our sins upon himself so that he could take them to the cross and nail them to the cross, paying the penalty for all of our sins. And of course, God raised him from the dead, as Emily talked about earlier, and he is coming back again. And by his grace, he now offers that forgiveness to us as a gift if we'll just receive it by faith. Of course, it's not just the forgiveness that we receive, but as you see again in this next diagram, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when you believed. If you look that up in your Bible or your device, make sure you underline or highlight that phrase, when you believe. The moment you believe this happened to you, not when you started performing or acting like it, the moment that you believed, you were marked with, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And so with the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, Scripture tells us all kinds of things that took place at the very core of our being, as you can see from this next slide. Next slide, please. Mm, I think it's the one right before that. There it is. You see all these things that happen to us um, as a result of putting our faith and trust. You're not just forgiven. You don't just get a ticket to go to heaven one day. Galatians 2.20, Paul's talking about being crucified with Christ and that he no longer lived, but Christ lived in him now. We're in union with Christ in a spiritual sense. He talks about being a whole new creation in Christ, being born again. He, he was teaching Nicodemus about those things. Jesus was. Paul said in Ephesians 2.4 that we've been made alive in Christ. You were spiritually dead. Now now you've been made alive, right? There's, there's life at the very core of our being. And then finally in the bottom right-hand corner, you see there that we have a new identity. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says that we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. What, what kind of language is buried? 
It's associated with death, right? We, we died. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen, we too might walk in newness of life. We died with Christ and we rose with Christ to something brand new. We have this whole new identity in Christ. I, I think I've shared this with you before. Um, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. You're just gonna have to get used to it because there's, there's a lot of Sundays and they all sometimes all just run together and I don't know what I've shared with you and I haven't shared with you. But I think when we look at this kind of thing, it's really the difference between you know Batman and Spider-Man right? Batman is like, he defines himself. Who are you? I'm Batman. Well, how does he find that identity? Through, through all external stuff, right? It's all the gadgets. It's all the cool stuff that he has. It's the belt and the weapons and, and the different vehicles that he drives, that, the, the costume that he wears that, that makes him Batman. He draws his identity all from these external things. If you take them all away, he's not Batman anymore. He's not. But Spider-Man's different. Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive spider, and that radioactive spider got inside of him, and it changed him at his core. Why y'all laughing? What did I say? <laughs> All right, thank you, Janet. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and watch the video later because y'all are lying to me. I know I just did. Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive spider, right? Peter Parker was, all right? And he became Spider-Man, right? His nature changed. It was now a part of him. He could take the costume off, and guess what? He's still gonna be Spider-Man because it's a part of him. It's in him at the very core of his being. You, in your union with Christ, are more like Spider-Man than you are Batman, you don't have an identity from external things. You could take them all off and all the things that people said on the external about you, all the things that you're wearing or the ways that you're performing, but you would still have your identity being found in Christ because something alien to you from outside of you has entered into you and completely changed your nature. Changed your nature on the inside. You now have a new identity in Christ, and here's the thing. God wants you to know it. He wants you to know it. Here's, here's the deal. But like, like I told you, I used to wrestle with my identity, and, and you know I still do every now and then in my flesh, but for the most part, I've, I've stopped wrestling with that. But here's the thing. I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. I, what I just got through explaining to you happened to me the moment that I believed. I was made a new creation in Christ. I was a union, uh, in union with him. I had a new identity. I was born again. All of these things were radically different about me. But guess what? I didn't know it. Not only did I not know it when I was 10 years old, but I went to church every Sunday almost in junior high and high school and even throughout college and as a young adult. And I don't ever remember hearing my Sunday school teacher or anyone standing up here on a stage ever teaching me anything about me being completely different. They just kept saying, I need to be different. <laughs> You need to change. You need to be more like Jesus. And then finally, it just jumped off the pages of Scripture and says, no, 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 you're already like Jesus. 
You have a whole new identity. You're far more like Christ than you are like the other people of this world now because something in you has radically changed. And so because I didn't know it, even though all these things were true about me, guess where I continued to try to find my identity? Out in the world. Like, like that's the only option I had before I was 10 because I, didn't, I was missing that at the core of my being. But then at 11 years old, I had a new identity. I wasn't missing it anymore, but I kept looking for it because nobody told me anything had changed. I never saw it in Scripture, and so I just kept looking out in the world and trying to perform and get validation from those things over and over. And you know how tired I got trying to earn an identity or maintain? It's exhausting. So I could say, yeah, I can now rest much more now that I've been made aware of these things. And so we're going to be taking a deep dive into a lot of these identity statements and helping you see them and hopefully begin to believe them about yourself and take ownership of them and, again, how it affects you. But, again, as an intro and kind of an introduction to the series today, I want you to see a number of things that are true about you and your identity right now. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are a few things that Scripture highlights about your new identity in Christ if you've said yes to Him for salvation. New Testament communicates that you are a child of God who has been justified and redeemed and is now completely righteous. Did you know that you're completely righteous? That in Christ you are completely Righteous, not just declared righteous, you've been made righteous in Christ. Like, like, and I'm not talking about your behavior because I think some of you go, What are you? I'm not righteous. If you would walk, walk around with me throughout the week, you would see that I'm far from being righteous. But we're not talking about behavior. We're talking about who you are at the very core of your being. You have been made righteous. If you believed that this was part of your identity, like you truly believed that you were righteous, how would this change your behavior? I think you'd start to act more righteous because it's who you are. You see how easy that is? Before, somebody's trying to tell you over and over, you need to be more righteous. You're not. You're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you're so filthy, and you need to be more righteous and holy and all of these things, and I'm trying, I'm trying to mess up. I guess it's really true about me. But then all of a sudden, somebody tells you and shows you in Scripture that you are righteous, and you go, oh, it's just part of who I am. I can just walk in the righteousness that I have in Christ now. See how freeing that is? See the rest that can come from that? See how this changes your walk and your behavior and your actions with those things? Not only are you a child of God who's justified and redeemed and righteous, but you are holy, Scripture says. You are loved and you are accepted. In other words, Jesus likes you. You're not just the kid of who says, yeah, I know, that's my, that's my son, but he's kind of got to be in my family now. It's a forever thing, right? I don't really like him that much, but he's in. You're accepted. He likes you. Even when you don't perform well and you misbehave, he loves you and he likes you. So you're a child of God. You're justified and redeemed. You're righteous. You're holy. You're loved. You're accepted. Did you know that Scripture calls you a saint and someone who is completely forgiven and dead to sin? Did you know that you no longer have a sin nature? I'm not saying that you won't step out and in your flesh do some things in your own power and own strength every now and then, but it's not at the core of your being. Do you understand there's a difference between that and your nature? Like you don't have a sin nature anymore. You have a choice. 
man, that was so freeing when I learned that. I just, I grew up thinking that, you know, I had a good nature and a bad nature, and it was a tug of war, a fight between the two, and it was up to me to really, in my own strength, kind of lean into the good side of me, but a lot of times the, the old me, the negative me, the sinful, you know, uh, natured me just kind of wins over. I'm like, well, it's just part of who I am, and I know it's going to be there, and you know, when, once I realized that I don't have a sin nature, there were certain sin struggles and things that I had had no victory over in my life that I finally had victory over, all because I just understood now it's part of who I am. I'm trying to be somebody that I wasn't and force something in there, but you're a saint. You're completely forgiven. You're dead to sin. Did you know that the Bible says that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are a member of Christ's body, and that you are God's masterpiece? You're his masterpiece. Did you know that you are already a citizen of heaven and a royal priesthood and a joint heir with Christ? Can you believe that? This is true about who you are. Have you ever gone out to lunch with someone and they ask you who you are and you said, I'm a royal priesthood? <laughs> Me neither. But maybe we should start doing that, right? I mean, it's part of who we are. We don't define ourselves this way, but what would change about you if you really believe that you are a royal priesthood, that you're a joint heir with Christ? Man, I think so much would change if we really believed these things were true. Finally, you know, just we've said this before, but Colossians 2.10 says that you are complete in him. When it comes to your identity, you're not lacking anything. You're filled up and you are complete. This is what scripture says about who you are. This is who you are in Christ, something you receive from God. Did you now know that you're able to live from God now? Amen. From God, not for God. You're able to live from God. And we'll talk about that as we continue to go on. Here's, here's the way I kind of want you to think about this. Um, uh, Paul goes on to talk about renewing our minds to the truth, focusing on things above, because we're not always going to feel that these things are true about us. Our feelings, people are going to say things, Satan's going to lie to us, we're going to buy into the lies, we've got to renew our minds, and, and I want you to see why, and I'm going to show you another diagram in just a second, but before I do, let me read to you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is temporary, or since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so in, in this verse, as you can see in this next slide, uh, Paul talks about two truths here, how there's an eternal realm and there's a, a temporal realm. By the way, all these diagrams that you're seeing are not mine. Like these are things I've seen in books or diagrams that other people have taught on as I've learned more about my, my own identity. But, but there's no such thing as a real line, obviously, right? These realms kind of coexist, but this kind of just helps us see things and try to understand them a little bit better because Paul says to fix our eyes on the eternal realm, not on the temporal realm. Well, when you think about the eternal realm, we're talking about things that are timeless, things that are changeless. These are, these are God absolutes. When we're talking about the temporal realm, we're talking about created matter, uh, the presence of good and evil. There's a, a beginning and an 
an end here. And Paul says to keep your eyes fixed on the eternal realm. Why did he say this? Let me read to you what Paul said in Colossians 3 to help us kind of understand this. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. These are those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ for salvation. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. When we think about this, one way to visualize it, again, is on this next slide. If he says that your life is hidden in Christ, and he also says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which realm would that be in? The eternal realm, right? And so if you're united through the Holy Spirit to Christ, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, guess where you're sitting to? Right now, in this moment, even though you're physically present here, you're spiritually already seated in heaven. You're united to Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father right now in this moment. Did you know that was true about you? Do you see how does that help you with seeing the diagram, how you can live from God if your body and your soul exist in this temporal realm? You don't have to live for God anymore. You can live from God. The, his presence in power flowing from the eternal, timeless, changeless realm of things is flowing in you because you're united and through you into this temporal realm. And so, listen, when we talk about identity it's a changeless thing. Like you can think differently, you can feel differently at times, but look where your identity is found in a realm where things are changeless. So when you start to think, well, I'm not holy and I'm not righteous and all of these things go against what it is that Scripture says, you go, no, 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 I may not feel that way, but look, this is what's true about me. This is why our opinion of what God thinks about us and what he says about us is so important and what we understand about our identity. I'll, I'll, I'll just close with this. I love the way Ralph Harris kind of highlights this in his book, um, God's Astounding Opinion of You. Again, great title for a book, but he's talking in this section about resting in our identity, experiencing the abundant life um, in our identity and in our union with him. And it's a little bit lengthy, but it's so good. Just, just hang in there with me. He says, it begins with knowing what God thinks of you. At a seemingly record pace, he says, God is making new and fantastic sons and daughters, tremendous children of his glory through the new birth in Christ. How thrilling is the church and, and how thrilling are you, he says. One moment we're in serious trouble with God and the next we're spot on perfect and dwelt by God himself. Residents of heaven already, the people of God's delight. What a change, he says. Then he goes on and says, but yet most days, the change makes little difference to us. We've lost or have never known the wonder of the miracle that began with Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers. Why? Because we've been deluded into making a lunatic argument with God. The argument is not so much about who he is and what he's capable of doing. It's about who we are and our role in his plan. 
while he thinks one thing, holy, righteous, blameless, and majestic sons and daughters walking the planet, we think something else, something way less. God's opinion of us and our opinion of ourselves don't agree. So with that disagreement as our starting point, it's not hard to imagine why our experience with God falls short of our inheritance. But as he increasingly wins you over to his way of thinking about you, you'll increasingly live as you really are because you'll know who you really are. When your opinion of yourself matches up with God's opinion of you and when you, who you are lines up with how you live, the glory of God will be stunningly evident and you'll be living by faith. It's so important to know what God thinks about you and for your opinion of yourself to match up to his opinion so you can simply go out and live who you are. You gotta know who you are and what it is the biggest influencer that we said earlier of our actions is what it is that we believe about ourselves and when we fall for a lie, we're gonna live for less than the abundant life and the abundant um, uh, life that Jesus came to give each one of us, but when we know the truth and we recognize that we have it in him, we'll be able to walk with him in a different way. And so these are the things that we're gonna be diving into over the next several weeks. Again, I hope that you're making plans to come back and be here to dive into each one. I hope these are things that you will learn to rest in, that you'll learn to truly believe about yourself and allow to change your, your behavior and your actions as a result of seeing them and taking ownership of them as well. As a matter of fact, I wanna give you a chance to go ahead and begin to take some ownership of those right now as we close today. So as Emily comes up and gets ready to play, I'm gonna go ahead and invite you to stand. And as you guys stand, I'm gonna go back to each one of these identity statements that I mentioned earlier. Again, these are not an exhaustive list, but I want to repeat each one of these things that are true about you, and I want you to take ownership of them and repeat them back to me as being true about yourself. Now listen, this is for those of you who are here today and those of you who are watching online who have taken a step of faith. You've received Jesus's forgiveness into your life. He's come into, in, into your life and, 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 and dwelt your life. And so these would be things that are true about you. If you've yet to take that step of faith, then these things won't be true about you yet. You'll still be having to manufacture your own identity and look outside of you for those things. And, and that's okay if that's where you're at right now. We'll give you a chance in a moment to pray to receive Christ and have this changed about you as well. But for those of you who this is true about in this moment, I want you to repeat after me. I am a child of God. I am justified and redeemed. I am righteous. I am holy. I am loved. I am accepted. I am a saint. I am completely forgiven. You say that one again and mean it. I am completely forgiven. I am dead to sin. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a member of Christ's body. I am God's masterpiece. Let me say that one again. I am God's masterpiece. I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a royal priesthood. 
I'm a joint heir with Christ, and in him I am complete. This is who you are in Christ. God, thank you for who we become in a union with you, for just something that we receive. What a gift. What a gift of not just forgiveness, but life and holiness and righteousness and and love and acceptance. God, thank you. God, I pray as we continue to learn more and more about who we are in Christ this summer, that you'll allow each and every single one of us to truly believe it to rest in who we are in Christ and to to live from you, God, instead of trying to live for you. And God, in this moment, um, I just want to offer those uh, who are here today a a chance to receive you if they've never taken that step. And so if that's that's you, I want to invite you to just pray a simple prayer of faith. You can say this in the quietness of your heart, but if you're ready to be forgiven today, you're ready to receive this brand new identity in him and learn to begin to walk in the abundant life that he came to bring you. Just say in the quietness of your heart, God, I recognize that there's sin in my life and that that sin separates me from you. But right now in this moment, I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior, to forgive me, to come live inside of me and make me a new creation and bring me a new identity. Thank you for doing that right now in this moment, the moment that I just now believed. Teach me more about the new me that I've just become in this moment and how to to rest in it and how to walk with you and how to live and experience the abundant life that I now have in Christ. And just thank him, just say thank you for rescuing me from my sin And thank you for giving me abundant life in Christ right now in this moment. In Jesus' name.